welcome back to our series, The Story. Today we begin the third volume in our inter- after our interlude over Christmas. Uh, if you're just joining us for the first time or come back after a while, um, we're in the middle of a 31-week overview of the entire Bible. Uh, if the Bible was a forest, uh, we usually spend a little bit more time down on the forest floor as a congregation. Uh, we'll take books like Uh, Colossians or Exodus, and we'll study one chapter or one paragraph, one section at a time, looking at the trees and the flora and the fauna that's around us and and observing observing what God's Word teaches us. But our goal in this current series is to take a little bit of a view from above the whole thing. And so if you will, we're we're taking a helicopter ride over this few months, and we're, we're getting a survey of the entire forest and what things look like from above. And, um, Today, during our Sunday school hour, as Angie mentioned earlier, we're going to have a, um, a special class together upstairs. We're going to join our Sunday school classes, and it's open for all ages. And we're going to go higher than that helicopter view, and over that Sunday school hour, we're going to, we're going to take a look at the Old Testament from a satellite view. And we're going to do what we've been trying to accomplish in a little bit over 20 weeks. We're going to try to do all that in one hour. Uh, and so if you've not joined us for that time, um, we've done this before. I think the last time we did this was well before the pandemic. Uh, it's a wonderful interactive time. We're going to create a living timeline of the entire Old Testament, and you get to be part of that, and it's quite interactive. And so I would encourage you to stay for that and join us upstairs after our fellowship time. Um, one of our goals, though, for this series and for today's Sunday School class uh, is to help build biblical literacy within our church, for you, for me. It's our desire for God's people to better understand the Bible and, and how it's put together as a whole, uh, so that you can better understand the parts. I, I believe that the more you comprehend the, the overall flow of, of the, the central themes of the Bible, then the, the more that you're going to enjoy the benefit from reading, thank you Andrew, I appreciate it, you're going to enjoy the benefit of reading and studying God's Word uh, and studying all of Scripture. And, and so I hope that this series is cultivating in you a, a hunger for God's Word, and that it's cultivating and developing in you a greater understanding of, of Scripture. And I know I've said it before, but you will benefit even more if you, are, if you are making the effort to read through the Scripture with us as we go through this series. If you've, if been, you've been reading along, or you haven't been reading along, that's okay, um, today we're starting volume three, and so if you're looking for something to read in the Bible here at the beginning of the new year, this is a great place to, to jump on board and, and to join us. Okay, so we've done a, a, a recap a few times. We're gonna, I'm just going to browse through where we're at, introducing our new section. Uh, we've talked about creation, fall, flood, when, actually volume one, I'm sorry, I, I skipped over that. Um, we're, just a little bit of where we're at. We've looked at, broken this up into five volumes. Volume one, as we saw, was basically the first five books of Moses. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. And all of that took place over that, those first few weeks that we looked at, at um, from the beginning all the way to the entrance to the land of, of Canaan, where God had given them the land. Uh, that all takes place over a period that's, that's uh, 2,500 years or, or more. And... Um, and in that uh, section, we saw creation, fall, flood, Babel, when the patriarchs, the church, the, not the church fathers, but the, the fathers, uh, Egypt, Moses, and a time of wandering. And right before Christmas, we just finished volume two of the story, Growing Pains, where we zoomed into a smaller period of time, a uh, time of about 500 years. 
And, and that period was characterized by three groups of rulers that we saw in several books of the Bible, from Joshua to 1 Kings. And, um, and, and our key words there were... Um, representative of those three periods of, of leadership. And so we had Joshua and Judges and three kings. Again, not third kings. There's no third book called third kings, but three kings, uh, the first three kings of, of Israel. And, um, and today uh, we have a new key word, um, divided kingdom. Uh, key, key words, I guess I should say. So um, I'm not going to quiz you today because uh, we, we need to move on so that we have time for our class upstairs. Uh, let's, let's go to our God in prayer and just thank Him for this time in God's Word. Father, and we thank You for this time we've had today to examine Your Word and the charges that You give to us there. We thank You for, um, for this service. And now we come before You and we ask for Your blessing on, on our time in, in Your Word. I pray that You would teach us. I pray that You would speak to us through the words that are here. Help us understand these things and see the warnings that are there for us. And might we live accordingly. Amen. One of the central themes that we keep coming back to is that our God is a God who initiates relationship. Uh, he is holy and completely, completely beyond us. And yet He makes Himself known. He makes a habit of being with us, of pitching His tent in our midst, or incarnating himself and taking on the form of a, a, a person, becoming a man. He initiated a relationship with Abraham and made promises that he's fulfilling in spite of the failures of Abraham's descendants. He made promises and initiated a relationship with David that he's fulfilling and that uh, we saw was started with David's son Solomon and to David himself. A month ago, we saw how Solomon had asked for, for wisdom. God, God told him, says, what do you want? Ask anything, and I'll give it to you. And Solomon's request was, Lord, please give me wisdom to rule the people. And God gave him that. He lavished it on him as, as never before. Uh, in fact, this, this king ended up writing several books of the Bible because of the wisdom God had given to him. And yet this king, who had it all, neglected the very wisdom that God had granted to him. Specifically, we're told in 1 Kings 11, where we turn today, it tells us that Solomon directly disobeyed several of the Lord's commands. The biggie being which that he, he took many wives to himself. We're told 700 wives and concubines, wives from other nations that led his heart astray and led him into idol worship. 1 Kings 11.4 informs us that when Solomon was old, his wives turned away his heart after other gods, and his heart was not wholly true to Yahweh his God as was the heart of David, his father. Now from a human perspective, as we're looking at the story of Solomon down on the lower story, as we're considering the story that we, that's unfolding in God's Word, one might be tempted to wonder, you know, how, how are God's promises going to be fulfilled when God's people keep on disobeying Him? They keep breaking covenant with Him. God made promises to David, and only one generation later... Uh, it could appear to some that God's plans were being thwarted, that somehow God's plans weren't going to be fulfilled, that how, how is God going to do this? As I reflect on my own life and, and yours, I imagine, have, have you ever realized your own failures and then been tempted to doubt God's promises? You, you look at your own failures and, and our sinful heart 
gives us bad counsel and tells us, oh, you failed. God's plan's ruined. You, you won't, you, he won't use you now. He won't forgive you this time. You might as well just quit. You might as well just step away from it all because you blew it. Now, the consequences for sin are real, aren't they not? There are ramifications when we walk in disobedience. But I ask you, have your failures thwarted God's promises to never leave you or forsake you? Are, are you and I more powerful than the Creator of the universe? That my sin, that my failure could overpower His promises to us and His plan? May never be. Don't be deceived. Here on the lower story, it may appear in Solomon's life and also in your life and mine, it may appear that all is lost because of our failures. But but we have to understand that the upper story is continuing. And in spite of the failures of, of, of people, God is continuing His sovereign plan. The Lord is still bringing about His perfect and His good will. The question, though, is whether you and I are going to align our will with His. Will you enjoy the blessings of having a heart that is wholly true to the Lord your God as was described that David had? Or will your heart be turned away resulting in God's discipline, His chastisement, a loss of opportunity, a loss of blessings? Now listen to what the Lord tells Solomon uh, starting in verse 9. It says, And Yahweh was angry with Solomon because his heart had turned away from, from Yahweh, the God of Israel, who had appeared to him twice and had commanded him concerning this thing that he should not go after other gods. But he did not keep what Yahweh commanded. Therefore, Yahweh said to Solomon, since this has been your practice and you have not kept my covenant and my statutes that I have commanded you, I will surely tear away the kingdom from you and will give it to your servant. Yet for the sake of David your father, I will not do it in your days, but I will tear it out of the hand of your son. However, I will not tear away all the kingdom, but I will give one tribe to your son for the sake of David my servant and for the sake of Jerusalem that I have chosen. Now again, notice that, that Solomon, he had, he had ample opportunity, didn't he? Forty years of, of serving as the king of, of Judah in Israel. God had appeared to him twice. He had commands in the Scripture that, that he had access to, that he had heard. But we're told that Solomon did not keep the Lord's command. It, but I want us to notice that in the midst of this, even though Solomon will not enjoy the full blessing that he could have, there's going to be consequences in generations to come because of Solomon's sin, the Lord is still working through the, the, the acts and the events of human history to bring about His plan and, and to accomplish His promises. As part of God's discipline against Solomon, uh, we're told that He sent several adversaries against Solomon. He raised up certain enemies from other nations and within His own nation. If you jump down to verse 26, we're not going to look through all of those, but it points out one person in particular in verse 26, we meet an important individual in the history of Israel named Jeroboam. Jeroboam, we're told, was a skillful and, and trusted leader. And, and the Lord gives Jeroboam an opportunity. Uh, he sends a prophet to Jeroboam and he says, Jeroboam, 
you have a choice here. You have a chance and an opportunity to be the next David. I'm not going to take away David's kingdom from him in, in, in its entirety because I made promises to David and I'm going to fulfill those things. But I'm going to take away the northern part of the kingdom and I'm giving it to you. And if you follow my ways, if you have a heart after my own like David did, then this kingdom will be yours perpetually for you and your children. And they will always sit on that throne. In essence, he's given Jeroboam the same promise he gave to David if Jeroboam will simply make that decision. And so God um, announces his plan. He gives Jeroboam this opportunity. And where Solomon failed, Jeroboam has the offer to enjoy the promise of, of God if only Jeroboam will listen and will walk in God's ways. Listen to the story as it unfolds starting in verse 28. The man Jeroboam was very able. And when Solomon saw that the young man was industrious, he gave him charge over all the forced labor of the house of Joseph. And at that time, when Jeroboam went out of Jerusalem, the prophet Ahijah, the Shilonite, found him on the road. Now Ahijah had dressed himself in a new garment, and the two of them were alone in the open country. Then Ahijah laid hold of the new garment that was on him, and he tore it in twelve pieces. And he said to Jeroboam, take for yourself ten pieces, for thus says Yahweh, the God of Israel, behold, I am about to tear the kingdom from the hand of Solomon and will give you ten tribes. But he shall have one tribe for the sake of my servant David and for the sake of Jerusalem, the city that I have chosen out of all the tribes of Israel. Because they have forsaken me and worshipped Ashtoreth, the goddess of the Sidonians, Shemash, the god of Moab, and Milcom, the god of the Ammonites. They have not walked in my ways, doing what is right in my sight and keeping my statutes and my rules as David his father did. So catch what's happening here. Um, the same thing happened to Saul. Remember the story? King Saul disobeyed, he disobeyed, he disobeyed. He took things in his own hands. He started making sacrifices because Samuel didn't show up in time. He was commanded to kill Agag and all the Amalekites because these were the, the black widows of the Old Testament, if you remember. And God says, I want you to wipe them out. I've given them hundreds of years and, and I'm going to judge them. And Saul, you were my hand of judgment. And Saul didn't obey. And we're told back in 1 Samuel that God tore the kingdom from Saul and gave it to another. And he gave it to David, but that didn't happen right away, did it? So the same thing's happening here, and, and, and Jeroboam should see that, that there's a pattern. It's happening again. And so God announces that if Jeroboam will pursue the Lord like David did, then he will establish his house over the northern kingdoms, the ten kingdoms of Israel, uh, minus Judah and Simeon that had kind of gotten enveloped into it. Uh, Benjamin will play a part there too. But jump down to verse 37. He says, and I will take you, and you shall reign over all that your soul desires, and you shall be king over Israel. And if you will listen to all that I command you, will walk in my ways and do what is right in my eyes by keeping my statutes and my commandments as David my servant did, I will be with you. We've heard that before, haven't we? That promise keeps on coming over and over again. I will be with you and will build you a sure house as I built for David, and I will give Israel to you. And I will afflict the offspring of David because of this, but not forever. But then verse 40 tells us, Solomon sought therefore to kill Jeroboam, 
But Jeroboam arose and fled into Egypt, to Shishak, king of Egypt, and was in Egypt until the death of Solomon. And I asked myself as I was reading this, and as I came to the end of the passage, what happened between verses 39 and 40? Isn't that a little puzzling? I mean, here's this private conversation between a prophet and Jeroboam on the road, and then all of a sudden Solomon's trying to kill Jeroboam because of, well, what happened? And so what happens between verses 39 and 40? How did Solomon find out about God's promise to Jeroboam? The answer to that is back in verse 26 at the beginning of the passage that we skipped over. We're told what happened. Verse 26, it says, Jeroboam, the son of Naboth, an Ephraimite of Zeradah, a servant of Solomon, whose mother's name was Zeruah, a widow, also lifted up his hand against the king. And we're told in verse 27, it indicates that Jeroboam rebelled against Solomon because of the very prophecy that we just read. But here's the problem. God had promised to give Jeroboam the kingdom, and this was to take place when? After the death of Solomon. Now you're Jeroboam when you start thinking. We'll do it after the death of Solomon, and I'm going to bring it about, Right? He takes things into his own hands. He thinks that somewhere in all this, he can decide to fast-track God's prophecy. I can force God's hand and make all this happen a little bit quicker. I am the guy. I mean, everybody loves me. I, I rule over, you know, Solomon's given me charge over the slave labor of the, the northern tribes, and Solomon did treat them harshly, we're told. And, and Jeroboam was over a large section of the northern kingdom already. And apparently he was well-liked and well-respected. But God's timing was not good enough for Jeroboam, and so he takes matters into his own hands rather than walk in the Lord's ways, which was the stipulation for having a kingdom that would last, right? Isn't it unfortunate when we think that we can accomplish God's plan better than He can? We do that, don't we? In various ways, we step in and think, well, I know God's commanded this, but I don't really feel like doing it that way. I don't really feel like trusting God in that way. That takes time. That takes energy. Reading my Bible, memorizing, all these things that we're, uh, we're going to do things this way instead. You see, turning our hearts away from the Lord not only happens when we disregard direct commands, but also, our hearts also turn away from Him when we try to accomplish God's plan, but on our terms. Jeroboam was pursuing the exact thing that God had foretold. It's just that he was trying to manipulate the upper story and fast-track it according to his timetable. In the time we have remaining, uh, allow me to summarize the events that unfold, and, and then we'll, we'll zoom in on a couple verses where God gives a glimpse of what's happening in, in the upper story. At the end of chapter 11, uh, we're told that Solomon dies. Uh, he has reigned over Israel for 40 years, and, uh, and then he slept with his fathers. His son Rehoboam becomes king in his place. I, I know they all have the rhyming names, Boam, Rehoboam, Jeroboam, um, just a thing they did. We can change it to Craig of Boehm and Brian of Boehm. Sound like something fun for Ralph of Boehm? No, okay, never mind. Brian says no, so I will submit to my elders. Um, <laughs> Craig's saying thank you, Brian. Um, and so Rehoboam becomes king, 
And so Jeroboam hears the news down in Egypt, and he returns from Egypt. And we're told that all the people gather together, and they're there in the northern kingdom to make Rehoboam the king, the son of Solomon. And as they gather, Jeroboam comes, and the people approach, and rather than making Rehoboam the king of all 12 tribes, they, they come to him and they, they pull what happened in the House of, Congre- House of Representatives this week. They ask for some concessions. They say, okay, we'll make you king, but your dad was hard on us, and you need to lighten up. And so they ask for concessions. Solomon's reign was harsh. Uh, the, the tribe of Judah had a lot of benefits financially as well as in the labor, and he took all of that and he put all the, the, uh, the labor and all the, the financial burden uh, on the northern kingdoms for the benefit of his, of his own tribe. Um, and so the people come to his son, son and they say, we'd, we'd like you to lighten the load. Uh, so Rehoboam calls for three days. He says, give me, give me three days uh, and he goes to his counselors. But Solomon's son decides to go to war. He says, we're going to go take it back. And so they gather a huge army. And they go to invade their brothers. Which is when God opens another window into heaven and not only tells us, what, tells us what's happening on the upper story, but he bluntly tells it for everyone to hear. Look at verse 22. He goes on and he says, But the word of, the, of God came to Shemaiah, the man of God, Say to Rehoboam, the son of Solomon, king of Judah, and to all the house of Judah and Benjamin, and to the rest of the people, thus says Yahweh, you shall not go up or fight against your relatives, the people of Israel. Every man turn, return to his home, for this is from me. So they listened to the word of Yahweh and went home again, according to the word of the Lord. My friends, God is going to fulfill his word. He does what he says. He's going to use this course of events to bring about things that he promised through Moses, things that he promised to Abraham, to David, even to Jeroboam himself. And Israel is going to make a mess of this whole thing. If you know the story, uh, things in the north don't go so well. One of Jeroboam's first acts is what? He makes idols. He says, oh, we don't want them going back down to Jerusalem to worship. Then they'll want to go back and serve the kings of Judah. So he makes two golden calves. I mean, Aaron's one wasn't enough at Mount Sinai. So Jeroboam makes two golden calves, one in the north, in Dan, and the other in the south. And the people are stumble because of those idols for, for centuries. And as a result, God does not establish his kingdom. Uh, Jeroboam's going to reign for 22 years, and he'll be followed by his son who takes his place, and that son is assassinated after two. Neither of them followed after the Lord like David had. They, they did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. In fact, Jeroboam's sin is going to be such a stumbling block for the northern kingdom, and they're going to have a long-lasting relationship with sin and idolatry and a long-lasting relationship with consequences as a result of Jeroboam's sin. He's going to set a, pat- a pattern for the next 19 kings, um, including himself. 19 kings that rule over the northern kingdom of, of Israel, and out of all 19 kings who reigned over the next 200 years, God will say of every single one of them, every king who ruled over the north, God says he did what was evil in the sight of Yahweh. 
There were some who had political, political successes. There were some that had great economic successes. Uh, the dynasty of Jehu would last for almost 100 years, of, so almost half of that time. But, but not one king in 200 years did what was right in the sight of the Lord. And a lot of that came back to Jeroboam. My friends, the kingdom was truly torn in two. I believe that all this is an important lesson for us to remember. It's another one of those tough chapters, isn't it? You know, we come to some of these things, and some of these stories are really encouraging. You think, oh yeah, what an example. And, and you come to some of these stories and you go, oh, what an example. But I think there's, there's some important lessons for us to remember. Not only as individuals, uh, this pertains to each one of us, but it pertains to us as a church as well. Today's an important day in the life of our church, is it not? We, we've just witnessed um, the appointment of, of new leaders, new elder, new deacons. Not only are we introducing them, but also nine new members of our congregation here in a few moments before we close, but uh, the Lord's doing marvelous things here in the lives of many people. I, I'm excited about what God's doing in, in, in many of your, your hearts as you are following Him. It's a blessing to me to watch and to hear some of the conversations we have, to hear how the Lord is blessing you. I'm thankful for the good work that His Spirit's accomplishing in you. He's equipping people for His work. But let us be careful that we are not deceived. Let us be mindful that we are just as prone to temptation and failure as Solomon, as Rehoboam, as Jeroboam, let you and I never fall into the trap of trying to fast-track or manipulate God's plan to get him to bring about his blessings for our church and for our lives, but in a way that fits our pattern rather than his. Instead, might we be people that are characterized by a love for his word? Might we be a church that's characterized as those who walk in our Lord's ways? What we do is right in his eyes by keeping his commandments. And my friends, we serve a God. You and I serve a God who will continue to accomplish the story no matter what the failures are of those who disregard his heart. And he will, he will, we serve a God who will always fulfill his word. And so let us trust his ways. Let let us love what He says. Let us enjoy the blessings of those who have a heart after His own. Because when we are men and women after God's own heart, our God will be with us and our joy will be full. Let us pray. Father in heaven, we thank You for the examples of of men like David who loved you with all their heart and examples of men like Rehoboam and Jeroboam that, that failed so drastically. Might their failures be a warning to us? Might we seek you with all of our heart? Might we be men and women, men and women and a church that, has, that have hearts after yours? Father, we know that you want to bless. We know that in the midst of those blessings, there are trials, there are struggles, there are temptations. But in the midst of that, you bring about great blessing and great joy as we follow you. 
And so, Father, as we start a, a new period in our church, new leadership, um, revolving leadership, many are not going away, but Lord, we, we just pray that you would bless them. We pray that you would bless this church through them, and that not only our leaders, but the people here, all of us would continually seek after you. Glorify yourself in us. Might, might you be radiant, and might the word of God go forth from here and change this region. Amen. Thank you.